1: Hey y'all it's Amber popping on at the top of the episode like I always do to remind you to join our Patreon. Just so you know next month we will be giving away the book The Lesson by Cadwell Turnbull. We're going to read the lesson for episode 46 and we're also going to announce at the top of that episode who we will be sending that book to. Now the book giveaways are for the patrons only and also patrons you're in for a treat. Today's episode is going to be an interview and we will post the visual version of that interview on the Patreon as well. Okay Okay, let's get this party started. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about Black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in our marriage. Today, for episode 45 of the Sci-Fi Sci, we interviewed horror writer and podcaster of the Nightlight Podcast, which features creepy tales written by Black authors. That writer and podcaster is Tanya Ransom. Before we bring you into this powerful interview, I do want to quickly boost and stroke our egos, as we always do, by reading three incredible Apple podcast ratings from listeners like you let's start with the first one this one's from Devon 13 When a fantastic couple can elevate your sci-fi. I fell in love with these two on their social media feed, but OMG this podcast has such amazing depth awareness, and for a gal who isn't a reader, I'm excited to grab all these movies and books to follow along. Thank you both for letting us in on these fantastic conversations. Love it! Okay, let's read the second one. Alina Monet. Love it. Came across this couple on Instagram after having a good laugh at their TikTok videos. I had to give their podcast a listen. I'm so glad I did. The witty banter comeback and conversation in general is great and the reviews are bad either. Keep the content coming. All right, last stroke of the ego. Here I go. It's from Angelique Lala. 714, 2021 I found some new friends. First, I want to start by saying this is my first podcast review on this platform. Eek. Next, I discover you on TikTok and then I went down a rabbit hole to all of your SMs. I wasn't planning on listening to the podcast because I'm not really into sci-fi. We hear that so much. But I saw that you discussed the Underground Railroad and noticed your podcast is more than sci-fi. I've read the book and watched the series and loved them both. Sadly, no one in my circles read or watched and wanted to discuss the book. Anyhow, I was really engaged in your analysis and thought some of the same things, but I was made aware of things I didn't even see. I want to watch the series again with a different point of view. Cora's perseverance is what stuck with me most. Gosh, what an amazing strong woman. Proof that there quote is nothing black folk can't do. I am so, so, so grateful for all of you friends who are supporting us on, I mean, every single platform from the TikTok to the Instagram, to the patrons, to the Apple Pie podcast ratings. These means so much to us. And now I want you to sit back and enjoy a powerful discussion with Tanya Ransom.
2: Hello. 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 Hi. How are you guys? Oh, you're wearing a nightlight shirt. I love you so much. Of course
1: I'm wearing a nightlight shirt. <laughs> How are you today? Oh,
2: I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so, uh, you know, uh, we have listened to your voice. So it just whenever yeah. you connect a person's voice to their face, you're like, yes, this is a Yeah, what I've heard that voice yeah I get obviously. that from people
2: a lot. Like you when get, I go uh, to conferences was- and things. And they're <laughs> like, oh, it's so nice to like match your face with your voice. We want to just
1: honor your time completely. And um, we are here to just like gas you up and get inside your brain. Uh really? so we're gonna go ahead and get started. We want to ask you explicitly how you plan for all of your diverse content, because as we know, even when you call something Black horror, Black writers, Black actors, you still get submissions from all over the place. Um, So please talk to us about just like where this idea came from and how you have like stuck to your guns about your commitment to
0: diversity.
2: Okay. Um, Well, a few years ago, a report came out from Fireside Fiction, and it basically detailed the demographics of authors and the works that they had published. And one of the things that was noted in the report was like two point something percent of accepted and published stories um, in speculative fiction were by black writers now in America. Black people are about 13% of the population so obviously like a huge gap there it's not like you know they're only 2% of you know black people are writers or you know or things like that you know they you're going to want it to still match your population so. Um, I belong to a black writers group so it's all. Black writers. And so we were talking about this report going, you know, like, yeah, this sucks. I mean, because we've been knowing that it sucked. Right. You know, we just. Mm -hmm. But to see the numbers like hard. Yeah. To see the numbers and to see that, you know, you have that validation and knowing that it's not just, you know, in your head that you feel like you're kind of like locked out of spaces. Um, You know, we kind of had numbers showing that we were locked out of spaces and we talked about, you know, when you get rejections, because a lot of times when you submit a story to a publication, you don't get a rejection that has really any information. It's just, sorry, this story is not right for us, you know, thanks for submitting kind of thing. But sometimes you'll get a personalized rejection. And sometimes it'll have things like, you know, the, the beginning was strong, but the ending kind of fell flat or, you know, something, something's wrong with the story structure. That's totally cool. You know, that's, you know, that can be editor preference, or it could be something that really is a problem with your story that you need to fix. But we talked about when we did get a personalized rejection from a publication and it wasn't about the story, it was almost always this story is too black or this story is not black enough. And some people heard wow. that feedback from different editors um, on different extremes for the same story. So some editors felt that the same story submitted, you know, the same way somewhere else was too black and then somewhere else it wasn't black enough. So there's like this arbitrary amount of blackness that, um, Black writers were having to, you know, reach. and yeah, where's the, people, the rubric for Blackness? Right, blackness. and and who was deciding that rubric wasn't a Black person typically, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, um, you know, so we, you know, obviously felt that, that was a problem. And, you know, I'd known that I wanted to start a podcast for a long time. I wanted to start a podcast before podcasts were a thing. I actually wanted to revive old time radio. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the time, like I didn't have any radio connections or anything like that. So I was like, okay, that's going to have to wait. Like, I can't go to a radio station, you know, right now and be like, hey, let me like tell a story (laughs) on your radio station. Um, But then podcast became a thing. And I was like, oh, the barrier to entry, you know, came way down. Like, I can totally do this. But um, I, you know, kept putting it off and procrastinating. Oh, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. And then, you know, finally, right around the time this report came out, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it because there's never going to be a right time to do this. I just need to Mm -hmm. do it. Um, And I was trying to figure out what I wanted my podcast to be about. I knew I wanted it to be a horror podcast, but I didn't necessarily know what form I wanted that to take. And when that report came out and, you know, my writing group was talking about it, I was like, this is what I need to do. I need to give black writers, um, black horror writers, a space to tell their stories without having to worry about is my story too black for, you know, mainstream, quote unquote, um, or is it not black enough? Because, you know, some editors felt like if you were a black writer, you had to tell a black story. Um, yeah. which we are so much more
1: <laughs> than yeah, that. Yeah, then like, yes, where's the, the trauma? Where,
2: where's right. The, the rags right. to Witches story. Yeah, like... exactly. And so what I wanted to do with Nightlight was I wanted to give black writers a place to tell whatever story they wanted to tell. So whether that story was like super duper black or, you know, you couldn't even tell, you know, that it was written by a black person, you know, it didn't reference the black experience in any way. I wanted writers to be able to tell any kind of story on that spectrum. Um, And I also decided really early on that I wanted representation from different groups of Blackness. Yeah, that's what
1: we really want to hear about as well. Um, As a result of that, did you get that demographic information um, for queer writers and publishers as well or disabled writers or I don't know how thorough it was?
2: I can't remember if that was part of it or not, but I do know that um, disabled writers were definitely underrepresented. I don't know if that was part of that report or if I just read it somewhere else. I can't um, remember where I got that knowledge, but um, I have PTSD, so I have a disability that you know is an invisible disability. So that was something that was important to me too, was soliciting work from disabled Black writers. Um, I am not part of the queer community, but I have a lot of queer friends. And so I wanted to be really intentional About giving a place for queer Black writers to tell their stories as well. So, you know, very early on, anytime I posted, hey, we're open for submissions, I encouraged um, queer writers, disabled writers, writers outside of North America to submit their stories because I do feel that Black writers outside of North America are underrepresented as well. Like, I would really love to have a story from an African writer. And I do have um, a couple of stories actually from. African writers um, right now, but I would like there to be a larger portion of stories that are represented um, from African writers specifically as well. So that's something that I'm really intentionally trying to like seek out African writers and ask them to submit their stories. And um, COVID has kind of like slowed that down a little bit because one way that I solicited a lot of writers um, was going to conferences. And anytime I saw a black person at a writer's conference, I was like, hey, (laughs) you know, I have this podcast, here's (laughs) my card." Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've been really intentional about um, asking people not to self-reject because I know that people, especially people that have some sort of intersectionality are used to being rejected um, for their experiences just because people feel like, oh, you know, you can't relate to, you know, a disabled person in this story. And so it's not quote unquote mainstream enough, you know, the same excuse they give for um, black stories. And I, I wanted I wanted this to be a space where people could tell stories about who they were and it didn't have to necessarily involve um, their day-to-day life, but just give them a place where their voice could be heard and for people to be able to discover writers that were within the Black community and, you know, intersectional um, marginalizations as well. Um, So yeah, I've been really intentional about when I'm requesting, you know, posting on social media saying, hey, you know, please don't self-reject. That's something that I say all the time because I know that disabled writers, I know that queer writers, black writers, new writers, (laughs) you know, all of these- We self-reject everything. (laughs) Everything. And so I, you know, I wanted to make sure that people understood, you know, do not self-reject, send me your story. Um, And, you know, and I've talked about this at conferences and, you know, other interviews for other podcasts and things you know, saying that I am the first publication that a lot of Black writers have submitted a story to and they got it accepted. And, you know, they were shocked because, you know, they weren't expecting to have their story accepted. And, you know, because I'm a newer publication, I have the luxury of being able to give personalized rejections to every single writer. So that's wonderful. If you submit a story to me, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. And I know that, you know, (laughs) if I'm in the position where I'm getting thousands of submissions, a month, I know I'm not gonna be in a position to do that, but right now I am. And, you know, I have readers that help me, so it's not just me, you know, volunteers. Um, Anya Wilson is amazing. Um, but, you know, giving that feedback saying, here's why we didn't accept this story. So that it's not just this kind of black hole and wondering, you know, like, well, did she not accept this story because it sucked? <laughs> or did she not accept this story because it just wasn't right for the publication? And so, um you know, I'm also really intentional about giving that feedback saying, you know, I really like this part of the story, but this part fell flat for me. Um, The most common reason that I reject stories is because they just don't work well for audio. And typically that's just a pacing thing. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the story necessarily. It might work really well on the page, but with audio, you have to have much tighter and faster pacing for your stories because people can't skim the same way they do right on the page. So I'm really intentional about letting people know this is why I rejected the story. It's a good story. It's just not good for audio. And then I give them a list of places that they can potentially submit to.
1: Wow. I, I want to say as a black actor, I so appreciate that you do that because you do not find out why you get rejected from anything. No, you're like the callback date has passed. I am a failure. So right. yeah. it, it, it's I- so nice that writers who submit to you are not treated the way they would be in more like white normative spaces because mm-hmm. that kind of is the norm it's like we saw you if we didn't call you we didn't like you right. um and I think that's that's just very black of you to say <laughs> no, <"Hey>, thank you
2: you're <laughs> Here, <here's, laughs> yeah, yeah, wrong yeah. now scoot right I- well I you know my it. mission is to you know build up the black writing community the black horror writing community at least Um, You know, I want to boost these writers' self-confidence. I don't want them to, you know, go away feeling like, you know, I'm a failure, you know, like you said. Um, I don't want anybody to feel like that, even if the story was, you know, a quote-unquote failure, you know, if there was something, you know, majorly, structurally wrong with a story, I point it out and I tell them, you know, very briefly how to fix it. You know, like my notes are very short, you know, I don't write whole paragraphs, I don't have time to write whole paragraphs, Um, but, you know, I will say, here's where the story fell apart for me. Here is a suggestion on maybe how you can fix it, kind of thing. So you know, I'm helping build, hopefully build, you know, black writers, so that you know some of these new writers can continue to build their skills, and we'll have more black horror writers in the world for people to read and listen That's,
3: to. Something I really loved was the story Bloodlust, and I think yeah. that was Victoria Hutchinson's, like one of yeah. their first stories, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It and and it, the the story just blew me away, and like. Um, the structure in which you could listen to the story and then listen to an interview, mm-hmm. I love that structure because sometimes I like listening to an interview first. But I would recommend everyone to listen to Bloodlust first and then listen to yeah. uh, the interview second because Victoria, it it just like it did not seem that Victoria would write a story. No, like I
2: was shocked when I interviewed her and she was you know telling me all of this stuff about like the stuff she typically writes and all that, and I was like, what?
3: Yeah, <laughs> I it, was surprised by that. It's definitely it's like one an of the, alter
1: ego almost.
2: Right. Yeah. It was like uh, some
3: of the best body horror yeah. I've I've read oh, yeah. uh, or listened to in a while. Yeah. But I wanted sure. to talk to you about that structure because I noticed there was a change where I think you had the um the stories and the interviews together
1: mm-hmm. oh, Yeah. Wait. Yeah, we live in Chicago. We live so. in Chicago. <laughs> so we
3: got we got is that okay, It's all good. I'm, I'm right okay. by
2: a busy street so we might have to like stop a couple of times for me to
3: Awesome. Yeah, yeah sorry about that um okay. but uh i i liked that structure where it shifted from where you could choose interview first or story mm-hmm. second was that like an intentional shift can you talk about the structure yeah, of your yeah actually it bit? was
2: so um yeah season season one and i think i know i don't think i did i think i changed it in season two where i started splitting up i might have still had them together in season two um but yeah in the beginning it was the story and then the interview in the same episode you know immediately following the story and I was looking at the stats um, for the podcast and I noticed that a lot of people were listening to the story and then dropping um, when it came time for the interview. And I realized, you know, some people are just here for the fiction and, you know, that's totally okay. But then there are a lot of people that are, you know, they're interested in the interview. So I wanted to give listeners an opportunity to easily kind of like skip the interviews if that's what they wanted to do. Um, And I also wanted some insight into how many people were actually listening to the interviews to determine if I should continue even, doing them or if I should put them behind like um, a paywall, like for Patreon or something like that. Um, And ultimately I opted to keep that separation one, because it also allowed me to quickly look at my stats and tell what kind of stories were most popular. Um, One thing that I'm working on right now is I'm pitching Nightlight as a TV series. And so splitting that out was huge because now I can really look and I can see, you know, which stories people are finishing the most. which stories people are listening to the most, you know, meaning like which, which descriptions appeal to them. So it helps me to curate content, but it's also really great for pitching this TV series because then I can say, here are my top episodes, you know, these episodes, you know, we could we could start off with a pilot for any one of these, you know, or here's like our first season or whatever. So it makes it really easy having um, insight into those stats to see what people are interested in. Um, and then also like seeing how many people listen to those interviews and who they like listening to for the interviews. And it's really interesting because, um, you know, some of the some of the authors with larger platforms don't have as many listens for their interviews as some of these newer writers as well. So it really depends on the subject matter that we talk about in their interviews, whether or not the interview is a quote unquote successful um, episode. So, you know, for me, it wasn't so much intentional from a listener perspective, other than, you know, just giving people the option but it was really driven by having better stats so that i could better serve listeners and you know hopefully get someone to buy this as a tv series
3: (laughs) so actually to that point um i really like love death and robots i don't know if you yes i love it so So, much so much yeah and like there are stories in here that i'm like they need to be on that show you know what i mean like and is that sort of the format you're thinking about like a short anthology type series yeah um,
2: we so i've talked about this with my tv manager just really briefly like at this point because i'm not really well known like i don't have a big name you know especially like in hollywood um it's going to be kind of dictated by whatever network or streaming service ultimately picks it up what format it's going to take i would love for it to take a format kind of like um black mirror or american horror story would be kind of cool i mean it would be a little more difficult um i have another audio drama in the works that would take more of an american horror story um format but ultimately it's going to be dictated by whoever writes the checks i think but yeah like a love death and robots would be it would be pretty cool also one podcaster to another
1: did it ease your workload a little bit by splitting episodes into like from one week instead of two did it buy you some time because we ran into that early like if we were reviewing a tv series or something we we're like why are we trying to get all 16 episodes into this one why yeah. don't we just do through four and then we're like oh my god that just bought us a month so yeah just oh yeah as a creator how did that help yes. you sleep a, a little bit more <laughs> yes one or two yes. hours at night
2: yeah yeah I mean it doesn't necessarily um ease the workload so much um because I do try to still produce the same amount of stories because my patrons are paying me for a certain number of stories per month and so I still try to shoot for that but I have used it definitely I mean you know the summer to buy me time um because you know I'm taking vacations and you know trying to spend time with my son and you know all this other stuff so it's really great so I can be like okay I'm gonna split the story into two because it's a really long one and you know stats have shown that people kind of get fatigued um, with fiction podcasts after like 30 minutes or so. And so I try to keep every episode under 30 minutes. And if it's going to go, you know, way over that, then I'll split the story into two episodes. And I found that people, you know, the the number of plays for the second episode don't really decrease, you know, people still listen to it. And I found that actually those two part stories actually tend to get a higher listener um, amount on average than, Single episode stories, which I found really interesting because I kind of expected it to be the opposite. Um, and then having the interview, you know, that's three episodes for that month, and it's like bonus content because people are expecting me to only do two episodes a month. And yeah, one of them, one of them is an interview; it's not a story, but it's still three opportunities to listen to something, which you know ultimately is going to help me when I find time to start seeking out sponsors. <laughs> and you know, it, you know, more content equals more listens equals more money. Um, when you get sponsorships.
1: I actually love the way that you're doing it. Again, I'm going to say this, take a sip every time I say as an actor, but as an actor, (laughs) that's why the intermission works so well. And then that's why like, I'm going to pay for the author meet and greet. And I feel like when you break it up into three, it's like act one, act two, and a Q and a with the author after the show. And so it's just a full immersive experience. I love that. Um, I'd love to ask you again, just. As a creator in all of this, I have been recently talking to Ben about how I'm struggling to every time I I feel like I'm good at something or I'm like, I really enjoy this. I should, I should monetize it. I should share this experience Mm -hmm. with others because maybe there aren't other black yogis that feel seen. And then one day I wake up and the thing that I loved um, just became another business, maybe because I'm just a capitalist or a narcissist or whatever. (laughs) Um, So I would love, all those things, Amber. All those I things. am
2: all of those things. Or just tired of being broke l- and wanting to make money because that's what drives me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be broke.
1: <laughs> I think the, the Black in me is like, this has to be a side hustle. I can't yes. just enjoy something. Um, oh, yeah, so everything's I a side hustle hear... in the Black
2: community. <laughs> it,
1: it, I was, yes. So Dominoes, spades, fear. still a side hustle. That, listen, it's like, wait, I, I can braid. So why am I not selling this t- this task? Um, which bites sometimes. Yeah. Um, So I would love to hear how you have uh navigated this internal struggle of like i need to show black people in horror this is my my duty and why i'm here and also like wow this thing that i love is no longer something i enjoy because i have to get through 50 stories tonight and all of them need yeah. personal rejection letters and i'd love to hear didn't you say yeah. it's
3: 30 to 40 hours to produce an episode i, I was reading on the yeah uh, the 30 yeah. to 40 hours for an episode dang yeah. so yeah I'd love to hear that. How do you, how do you do this without hating horror?
2: (laughs) Oh, um, well, very early on, I learned that I cannot do this all by myself. Um, Mm. When I started this, I thought I was going to do it all by myself. And I learned real quick (laughs) that that was not going to happen and me be able to maintain my sanity. And luckily, like a lot of people really believed in what I was doing. And I didn't even ask for help because I'm terrible at asking for help. I'm getting much, much better at it. But I did not ask for help. I wasn't going to ask for help. I knew that, you know, this was going to be hell trying to do it by myself, but I still wasn't going to ask for help because I don't feel comfortable doing that, you know, because I believe people should be paid for their labor and, you know, asking people to do it for free because I couldn't afford to pay them just didn't sit right with my spirit. So um, I wasn't going to ask for help, but, you know, people reached out to me and they were like, hey, I love what you're doing. You know, what can I help you with? Like, here's my skill sets. What do you need help with? Um, And that's how I found Jen Zink, who was my first um, sound designer. She reached out to me and was like, you know, I want to help you. And I was like, cool, because I really need help. Um, um, Partially because I have like a really bad elbow injury. I had surgery on it like 10, 15 years ago Um, and being on a computer and clicking around. So all that sound editing was like destroying my elbow again. And I was going to have to stop doing the podcast um, so she came along, you know, at the right time. She is the reason this podcast still exists to this day. And um, I love her and we are working on a new project together that I can talk about a little bit later if you guys want. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. People reached out to me and said, you know, hey, you know, if you want to read her, if you want like somebody to help you with social media stuff, you know, whatever. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, um, so I'm really fortunate that um, a lot of people have seen the mission that I have, and they want to be a part of that, and they're willing to help. And, you know, luckily, the podcast is making enough money now that I'm able to pay some of these people who started off doing volunteer work for me. And, you know, that's a really good feeling to, you know, send them a text message or an email and say, hey, you know, thank you so much for working for free, or, you know, like I'll send them a t-shirt or a hoodie, you know, (laughs) you know, they're still working for free, but, you know, I try to give them little goodies, but, you know, it's great to send them an email and say, hey, I can pay you for your work now like how much would you like to be paid and you know i let them set their rates so that they feel like it's fair and you know oftentimes i'm like you know i wish that i could pay them more than they're even asking for and Mm um you know as a podcast makes more money i'm gonna give these people raises because they've been with me you know since basically the beginning and i believe that um they deserve to have some compensation for growing this podcast to what it is because i couldn't have done it without them
1: how many people would you say are in the village that takes care of the Nightlight podcast?
2: Um, I have three people that have, you know, kind of stuck with it and, you know, they, they've they kind of been with me since day one, not counting, you know, obviously the voice actors and um, the authors. Davis Walden of the Viridian Wild podcast has been my sound designer um, for the last season and half of last season. Um, Jen had to step out because she had a repetitive stress injury as well. Um, but she's getting that under control, which is why we're working on a new project together. Um, so um, he's been really great. He's part of the queer community. So, you know, I'm super happy to have him on. Um, you know, he's not black, which like, I'm, you know, I'm totally okay with that. Not everybody that works um, with Nightlight has to be black, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I really want to be intentional about um, working with people in marginalized communities. Um, you know, that's not to say like if a straight white Christian male came up to me and said, you know, hey, I wanted to help. I, you know, I wouldn't say no, but given a choice between someone who's marginalized and someone who's not, I would choose the marginalized person because I know that, you know, one, they're working for less (laughs) than what they should be working for. Um, And I try to take the time to educate them. You know, a lot of um, like Davis wanted to start his own podcast and, you know, he asked me some questions about it, you know, and I was, you know, really open and honest with him about it, you know, I believe in, if I can't compensate you financially, I want to compensate you in a way that helps you grow your ability to make money elsewhere, you know, outside of me, even if that means that you fly away from my nest (laughs) at some point, you know, I'd be sad to lose Davis, you know, obviously, but, um, you know, I do want him to be super successful. And so, you know, at the end of every episode, I say, you know, here's who's editing and, you know, in my show notes, I'd link to his podcast, you know, I want to help bring his podcast up. With nightlight because you know he's doing. I'm paying him for his work, but he should be paid more for his work. And so um, you know he gets advertising and access to a podcasting expert. Oh, that's. I love that paying people <laughs> what they're worth, especially yes.
1: Black people, and um, that's something that's really important to us. I kind of want to go back for a second to what you said about. Uh, maybe Davis and him wanting to start this idea and getting honest feedback from you. Um, We would love to hear, you know, because we are, we are nightlight in the womb. (laughs) So like, so, so please prepare us for all of the egregious pushback uh, we are about to get for, uh, we've, we've gotten a a little bit, um, but just, as we grow and get more popular, I do get tons of DMs from people sending mm-hmm. me, uh, this person is white, but they're disabled and they write black characters. Hear me out, please cover their book. Please cover their story, just different kinds of things and how to navigate those waters. Um, because I do know that you give personalized rejections to mm-hmm. black authors, but all of the other noise, do you, are you responding? Are you saying like, I have like a a note section saved <laughs> this is our mission good day sir yeah. I, I'd love to just hear it that way yeah. yeah.
3: Well and then I think you were talking about this with Jennifer Baker where you're getting like a lot of white men oh God, submissions yes. like I think it was like episode 211 that's a great fucking interview it's like <laughs> editors yes. talking about like like what it's like to be an editor yes. there's mm-hmm. lots of good like writing feedback everyone seriously go check that episode out episode 211 i think with jennifer baker but yeah, i think, but so I think in perfect. that you mentioned you're like yeah is that lots- the one where
1: jennifer was talking about how she gave someone notes and they were like i don't have time oh yeah yeah but people i was just like so
2: weird people are so weird man we're like-, like run this back
1: 30 seconds so i can hear what <laughs> happened one more time <laughs> right yeah, we, like you're we listening to that audacity
3: you're we listening to that and i think you said you're like i have to reject white men and like amber looks over to me she's like what is wrong with you people it says <laughs> black I mean, horror podcast yeah because yeah.
1: when i when there's an audition that says we were looking for asian talent i don't yeah, I, you don't, I don't submit know. yourself but like then that's not a <laughs> african-american woman casting calls and see people there i'm just like why am I the only one? I I, I self rejected. Why don't you try self rejecting? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. We'd love okay. to hear all all the things.
2: All the things. Okay, so yeah, one thing that I did. Yeah, I got a lot of submissions from white men really early on because I do verify everybody that submits a story if I have not met them or you know they haven't been like a lot of um, my authors have been published in all black anthologies and so you know I see their name in the table of contents and most of them come out of Mocha Memoirs Press. Um, Nicole Gibbons Kurtz. Um, is a really great um, editor. She owns that press. And, you know, I know that she's done her due diligence so I can trust that, you know, she's verified that those people are black. But um, yeah, I mean, black are white men and Indian men, surprisingly, both send a lot of stuff. Um, But that's changed because I changed my submission process. And so um, it used to be, you send me an email, you know, with your story attached or whatever, you know, early on. And then I had a Google form, but I didn't ask for, your race I just had a little note at the top saying you know you you know this is for black writers if you're not black please don't submit blah blah blah. and I still got submissions from people and I'm like you know what like I'm tired of this and I don't respond to those I don't send them rejections I don't send them anything I just delete and move on I don't have time you know you can't read the instructions I'm not wasting my time replying to you um saying or you know you read the instructions and you just don't care you're not getting any more of my time you know that that's it we're done Um, But now I ask, which of your parents is black? So it's not even a yes, no question. For a while, it was a yes, no question. I changed it to say, which of your birth parents was black? And there's an option for mother, father, both. And I think I might've had one for none for a while. I can't remember if it's still there or not, but um, this season I have not received any submissions from any non-black writers since I've put that in there. Um, You know, I'm sure that some people will probably still, you know, try to lie eventually um but that really cut down on it because i think a lot of it was just people not reading submission guidelines which you know everybody you know every publication gets submissions from people who don't read the submission guidelines you know your horror publication they send you romance or you know whatever you know there's there's always people who can't read the freaking instructions um so that really cut down on it a lot so you know now at this point i know if they send me something and they lie about which of their birth parents is black then i know that this was intentional and I intend to blast them out on social media and say, you know, look, hey, there's this author who lied about this and, you know, a lot of editors follow me. So, you know, it's kind of career suicide at this point for them (laughs) to try to do that. And I have shamed like a couple of people, like even before I had that on the submission form, you know, like I named names of people, you know, because they would send me an email like I'm a white male and I know you only, you know, accept submissions from black authors and blah, blah, blah. But here's why you should hear me out. And, you know, rather than replying to them, I go on social media and I say, you know, hey, there's, you know, Joe Bob, whoever, you know, and he submitted this. This is why I'm not accepting this. And you shouldn't accept anything from him either because he's going to be a pain to work with. Like anybody who can't read the submission guidelines or thinks that they're above the submission guidelines is not going to be an author you want to work with. And editors are a very small and tight community. We talk to each other. So if you, you know, screw over one editor or you're a pain to work with, the rest of us are going to hear about it. And we're going to see that name in our inbox and we're going to say delete. And we're not going to spend any time rejecting you or anything like that, because you're going to waste our time. If we we respond saying I'm rejecting this because you didn't follow the guidelines and I'm just going to get an email back explaining why you're above the guidelines. And I'm not this is not a conversation. It's not a conversation. I have the guidelines. If you read them and you chose to ignore them, then I'm going to choose to ignore you. Um, the flip side of that too, is that yes, I do get, um, a lot of DMS from people asking for advice for podcasting. And, um, typically I do respond if it's something that's a fairly quick question, you know, I don't give them like a long, you know, lesson on whatever the question is that they're asking, because, you know, I do teach courses. I speak a lot at conferences and I deserve to get paid for that labor. Um, but if someone is part of a marginalized community, and they come to me and they say, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of questions like this. I'm trying to start this podcast. Like I had someone a couple of years ago that just, she was trying to start a um, queer podcast, basically in the same vein as Nightlight, but it was for queer writers. Um, And she was like, you know, I just, I would like to know how you raised money for your first season. You know, do you have any pointers for me, And if you don't have time to answer this, I totally understand, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I took the time, you know, to answer her. And, you know, we had a whole conversation, you know, over the course of a couple of days over Twitter DMs and I was happy to help because that is a marginalized community. And I'm more than happy to donate my time to help other marginalized communities if people come at me with respect and they don't expect, you know, there's no entitlement there that, you know, just because they are a part of any community or, you know, I'm there, they listen to my podcast, they feel like they are entitled. To my time like yes you know if you're a listener i want to help you out but if you act like you're entitled to my time then i don't need you as a listener and i'm not going to help you <laughs> you know it's it, it it's just setting boundaries you have to decide what your boundaries are going to be and for me mine is you come at me with um humility you know and i'm not asking you to like kiss my feet or anything like that but don't act like you're entitled to my time Um, come at me with respect and, you know, know that I'm not going to give you like this full lesson, you know, come with a very pointed question to ask me. And I'm more than happy to take five minutes to answer your question. And if that kind of starts to evolve into a longer conversation, that's when I'll say, you know, that's really a more complicated topic. You know, I suggest that you, you know, go take a class on this or, you know, here's a resource or something like that. And so I kind of redirect them to something else.
3: Uh, to that point, or they could just listen to your podcast, which I've gotten some really good writing advice from your podcast, which mm-hmm, you yeah. gave this one advice where just sit down, write a word a day, sit down, write a word a day, or like yeah. start, instead of writing a short story or plotting a novel, write flash fiction. And yeah. then I was reading in an interview, I saw that you taught seventh grade. And yeah. you're like, you like, I love that. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about like, your teaching experience and, and why course- you ran
2: for the hills. <laughs> <laughs>
3: why you ran for oh, the hills from middle okay. schoolers? I teach so, middle school. So
2: y'all yeah. are about to get a juicy story. Um oh, good. <laughs> so yeah, I um so I was a marketer um, professionally for a long time. And like, you know, I loved marketing, like it was a great job, but it wasn't super rewarding. Um, and at the time I was married and I could afford to take a pay cut to do something that was a little more rewarding. And so um, my best friend at the time was a teacher and she was like, I think you'd be a really great teacher. And I have a degree in library and information science. So the goal was ultimately to become a school librarian. Um, In the state of Texas, you have to teach for two years before you can become a school librarian. Um, So I was gonna teach for a few years and then I was going to um, get my school library certification, which is more school um, above and beyond the degree that I had and then um, become a school librarian. Well, um, this was late 2019 that um, I took my first teaching position, and um, it was a position that was at um, the same school that my best friend taught in, and um, it was great. You know, I was like, I I got to teach seventh graders how to write because um, in seventh grade in Texas, at least, the state testing exams are really focused on writing, um, less so than like literature. Literature is more the focus of like sixth and eighth grade. Um, So I got to teach writing and I thought, you know, this this is perfect. This is great. Um, I love teaching people. I love training, you know, things like that. So this is good. And like, honestly, like I'm a kid at heart. So, you know, being around a whole bunch of other um, kids all day was great. Like, you know, loved my job. Um, But then uh, my, I found out my best friend and my now ex-husband, are they're they're now married let's just put it that way (laughs) um oh my word yes so um i stayed at that job as long as i could um i mentioned earlier that i have ptsd and um it's for my dad's death and grief and losing your best friend feels physically that same way so she became a trigger for me um so i was working at a school with my trigger every single day and having to pretend that everything was okay because you know i'm in a class of, you know 20, 30 kids for you know six, seven periods a day. Um, and you know it just became really mentally taxing for me to pretend that I was okay when I most certainly was absolutely not okay. And like I finally had enough. Um, you know she was saying that I was a bad mother at work. Um, she said something to my boss that made them put me on a performance plan. At one point after I'd gotten like a really good observation, like a month and a half before um, from an assistant principal there um, my students nominated me for like you know. Um, the teacher of the month or week or whatever like several times and they kept getting mad every time <laughs> like they would announce the teacher that was awarded that for that week like every every time they'd be like oh this is not fair, <laughs> you know kind of thing. Um, so you know I was a really good teacher um, and I knew I was a good teacher, I was a first year teacher, you know I know that. You know, I could grow and do better, but I also know when I'm being railroaded and being pushed out and, you know, between the stress of being accused of things that I wasn't doing at work, um, and being put under a microscope for everything that I've done, but not given any real goals and targets to hit for improvement, um, and dealing with the fact that, you know, there was a trigger at my job every day. I just decided that I was done, um, right around my birthday. Uh, My birthday is March 4th. Um, So this was March fourth, (laughs) twenty twenty. You know, I put in my notice so that um, my final day. What an amazing year that
0: was! Mm -hmm. Yes. So
2: yeah, I put in my two week notice. um, So my last day would be March third. So I would start off, you know, the next year of my life, you know, with clean slate. You know, all this other stuff, and then you know, and I had job interviews lined up. You know, I had really promising job interviews going back into marketing because that's what I was going to do because. You know now i was a single mom and i needed more money than teachers make <laughs> you know it's just that's just the way it is um and then the lockdown happened and all of these interviews that i had they were like okay we're not moving forward with this position because we don't know what's going on we'll call you if things change kind of thing um so all of these prospects that i had completely dried up um overnight so yeah that was it was very very stressful <laughs>
3: like Ooh. a real, a real horror story. Yeah, yeah. This is
2: the scariest story
1: I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <your> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. please continue. I'm just, yeah. I um. I, I know it went well, Where you're here, but yeah. Still...
2: yeah. But yeah, I mean, I fought hard to be here and honestly, like the podcast, Um, you know, I got a TV manager, TV and film manager out of all of this, because like I was kind of put in this position where it was like, I have no job prospects. I can't get unemployment because technically I quit my job. Um, Even though like I quit it, you know, I asked for like um, ADA accommodations for PTSD and they refused to give them to me. Um, So, you know, like I probably could have fought and got unemployment, but you know, with the pandemic, you couldn't even get a hold of the Texas unemployment office. Like you called and they were like, we're busy. We're done. You know? So like I tried for a few weeks to, um, call, you know, cause I filed for unemployment and I got rejected because my social security number was wrong. I'm like, no, it's not like I'm looking at the thing. It's, it's right. Like what's going on here. And I couldn't even get through to like, talk about that much less, you know, try to appeal any decision where they said no, because I quit my job. Um, so yeah, I did, I didn't have any prospects. I mean, I had income from the divorce because we sold our assets and things like that. So I wasn't worried about losing my home, thankfully. Um, you know, and my son has asthma, so I didn't want to just like go work at a grocery store, or, you know, something like that. I didn't want to um, take the chance of exposing him, especially early on when we didn't know a lot about COVID. My sister's an ICU nurse, so you know she saw a lot of people dying <laughs> of this. Um, so you know, I heard a lot of those stories. You know, she was like, "You've got to take this seriously. Like there are people in their twenties that are on ventilators in my unit right now who are not going to make it. You know, who you know ran triathlons." Um, so it doesn't care. Like if you're in shape, if you're old, yes, if you're older or, you know, have comorbidities, then you're more likely to have complications from it. But, you know, it, it's just because you're healthy doesn't mean that you're going to come through this alive and whole after it. So, um, you know, I took it very seriously early on and I said, well, you know, pretty much my best option is to take something that's already making me a little bit of money and try to grow it. So I'm making more money. And so, um, I kind of took that whole situation that i'd been in and i just focused all of my energy on the podcast and on writing and um i released a novella at the end of last year and i've been focusing on the podcast you know got a tv and film manager and you know we're pitching things um i'm still not making enough money <laughs> to pay all yeah. of my bills so like i'm actually in the process of interviewing for a job right now that i really really hope i get you know back in marketing because i do you know enjoy marketing um so you know but I'm not gonna quit the podcast by any means they actually like sought me out because I had a podcast and because I have speaking experience so you know they're really cool with that which you know I'm really happy about because if you know someone told me well you're not gonna be able to do your podcast I'd be like okay no (laughs) you know agreed um but yeah but yeah I I took a really horrible situation and kind of being backed into a corner and somehow I made something great out of it I still don't exactly know how I did it, other than I just I couldn't give up, you know like it's you know people like to say that, um oh, you're so strong, you know, like if I tell people you know my story and everything, oh, you're so strong, and you know I can't imagine going through that, and you know blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and it's like I didn't have a choice,
1: choice. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a
2: choice, it's not about being strong, like I mean I, yeah, I guess to some degree, yes, you know, I'm strong, like I could have decided to um. You know just check out entirely and you know commit suicide or whatever and just you know be done you know i could have chosen that if i wanted to so i guess to some degree i am strong because i still got out of bed every morning i still went to a job with a trigger you know almost every morning you know there's some days that i couldn't and i called in to work um and took pto on those days but yeah i mean it's it wasn't a choice For me you know it was something that i had to do because if it had been if i had a choice i would have just probably like laid in bed and cried Mm -hmm. most days um for a really long time and you know there were some days that i did have to do that because i just like hit a wall and i could not do it anymore and you know the next day i would pick myself up put my big girl panties on and you know get right back to it
3: something that you talk pretty frequently on the podcast is like writing horror as therapeutic and Mm -hmm. I remember reading an interview where you were writing your first novel and then you realized like oh my god this is about my father's death and then you had to put it put it away but um one of my favorite stories that I heard is like you wrote like Mike Myers fanfic when you were a second (laughs) grader like I love that (laughs) um and but and like you got in trouble for it and I was just like curious do you think like the educational world has become more uh accepting of horror especially when you get like sort of this high um, sort of high concept horror that's like I'm thinking mm-hmm. like Mike Flanagan's work which I think yeah. he is I think he's a part of the Nightlight Legion is he is part now?
2: of the Nightlight Legion uh, yeah. awesome I saw that and I like screamed and I, I mean I was so 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 happy like I mean that just made my entire life like because he's my favorite director of all time so right you know, I saw that and um, I was like <gasps>
1: Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank You <But laughs> I cleaned your glasses like four times. So like right, like make make sure I'm looking, looking at it correctly. correctly. This is the right
3: one. Um, yeah. But you're getting this high concept horror. So do you think like mm-hmm. the educational world is becoming more accepting of horror? Like, what, what are yeah, your absolutely. thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. I've um I've got notes from teachers saying that they're using content on Nightlight to teach their oh. students um storytelling and, you know, especially audio storytelling, which never would have happened, um you know, when I was a kid now. I did grow up in a super conservative community, like we made the national news because we banned so many books because there was a pastor who was like, I think he was on, he was okay. So he was the parent of someone that was in the same grade as me. And I can't remember if he was on the school board or if he was just like friends with people on the school board, but like it was this whole crusade and they banned 20 or 30 books. Um, It was on like 2020 or Dateline or, you know, one of those shows, um, about it so you know they were definitely not teaching any kind of horror at all um we had to read the bible like they banned the joy luck club and instead they had us read the first five books of the bible for ap english the so, joy luck club that's so good, that- it's, I- so good. it's so <laughs> good it's so good it's so good they banned to kill a mockingbird um so so many wow. things um, house on um house on mango street i think was one of them yeah like i experience- you were gonna say i don't know just uh, you know like all the Holocaust books or something. So (laughs) when you said the Joy Luck Club, I was was, taken aback. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty serious and they ended up walking it back because they got so much blowback from it that eventually they were like, oh yeah. But I mean, yeah, super conservative community in East Texas, you know, Deep Woods, East Texas is where I grew up. Um, So, you know, even now, I think in that community, they they probably don't teach a lot of horror anything (laughs) in that um, in their curriculum, but I do think overall um, the public education system is much more accepting of horror and they're trying to diversify their reading lists, you know, there are a lot of champions. you know, in teachers and school board um, members and in parents who are championing um, diverse reading, like even in the school district that my son attends, um, they were talking about um, banning books um, because one parent got upset about a particular book. um, And I can't remember what it was, but it was by a Black author. I think it was by, um, oh, I, I think it was the, the, the book, um, how to be anti-racist or something but there's like a young adult version of it it was mm-hmm. something like that i don't remember if it was a, that exact book but one parent was really upset about it and i mean pretty much like most of the parents in the school district were like oh hell no <laughs> and you know like yeah. they went i mean in a pandemic they went to the school board meeting and you know, it was virtual but you know they they definitely voiced that you can choose if you don't want your child to read that but you do not get to choose for my child what mm-hmm. they get to read um so yeah so i think that there's just people's eyes are much more open these days and there are a lot of people that are championing reading more widely instead of reading a bunch of old dead white men as part of public school curriculum and i think that that's a good thing because i think that the reason that we have such an issue with racism in this country not the only reason but one of the reasons that there's such an issue with racism in this country is because people are just not exposed To different points of view. And one of the places that they can be exposed to different points of view is through literature. And I mean, you know, movies and media and things like that as well. But, you know, as far as the education system goes, literature is the best place to start to introduce people to different perspectives um, and show them that their perspective isn't the only perspective, especially when their brains are growing and they're learning, um, you know, to be more social animals, you know, especially in middle school, you know, that's the prime time to introduce children to different points of view so that they can learn to be more open-minded about other perspectives and think more critically about how other people move about in this world.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, so I'm not sure how much Ben shared with you, but the, um, the creation of this podcast came from me not being a huge sci-fi and fantasy fan because of, you know, something you're talking about. I, so many books were kept from me for so long without black fantastical characters. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't like sci-fi. We're not in these books and we're not, we're we're not, we're not in horror stories. If we are, we're getting killed first. Like this isn't my genre. Um, And so We came together for this podcast and he was like, we're going to read sci-fi and fantasy, but exclusively black authors and exclusively black directors. And I'm going to like show you that you can, or you are representing these stories. And it's also interesting that we come into, it sounds like you might not have this problem because you're getting like original works, but sometimes we literally are making a schedule for the month and we cannot find another like black directed black cast mm-hmm. science fiction movie and it's And i think that was the unlock for him because he was like wow i really thought we were gonna have like all, all of this content yeah. for, to, no. to the end of time like the the thousand story um like it's just completely different which is great because um b- two black podcasts that do horror and fantasy are having two different um things. I just wanted to like say that I'm, I'm so grateful that your son has a, a parent who's like in these meetings, like we're reading everything. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, when we were kids, our, our parents were like, great, just, just go read something. Right. Um, so I just fell in love with like Alice Walker and Toni Morrison and, and, Mm -hmm. and then slowly learned, like, I was like, oh, this is horror. I I see now, um, how this is coming together. So I thank you for just like arguing with these parents at this school (laughs) and, and somebody probably gifted that parent, the copy
2: of that book that she tried to ban as well. Well, Um, I do um, want to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, so the hate you give, One of my favorite Mm -hmm. books of all time, Angie Thomas, you know, an amazing writer, Um, I got to see her speak when she came down here to Austin, and it was an amazing experience. Um, But after I think it was Charlottesville that they had um, somebody get ran over like a white supremacist ran somebody over because they were protesting. Um, One of the things that like I'm really passionate about this. And I thought that was a really great book for kids to read so that they could understand um, the black perspective about, you know, this whole situation, because, you know, my son was asking, I mean, he was like five or six at the time and he was asking a lot of questions about all of it. Um, And I raised a bunch of money to gift every library in Charlotte, every school library, middle school and high school in Charlottesville, a copy of that book. Um, and then I raised money, like, you know, I asked on Twitter, I was like, if you're a teenager and you want this book and you don't have the money to do it, or your parents won't buy it for you, you know, contact me, I'll get it for you. You know, at the time I was fortunate enough to be making enough money that I could afford to do that. And then I started to get so many requests. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to have to start like telling people no, but then people saw what I was doing and they were like, Hey, you know, can I give you money so that you can, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't have to do the work, (laughs) you know, but you know, which is fine. Like I totally get that. Um, but you know, they, they wanted to contribute to that. And I think that it ended up being like 70 something copies of the book that I gifted to libraries and um teens around the world like I think the furthest one away was in like Brazil there was a teenager in Brazil that wanted a copy of the book um and we had a hard time doing that because I was like because it had to be bought from like Amazon Brazil and like you know it was this whole big thing but you know I didn't want her to reveal her address I was like it would be easier if we did it this way because she was like, I'll send you my address. And I was like, no, no, you don't know who I am. And I didn't want to teach this teen that just just because you think someone's okay, you give them, you know, like, yes, I'm an okay person. I'm not going to you know, come harm you, but you don't know that. So no, I'm not going to take your address um, because I don't want to teach you that it's okay to do that. So it took us like a couple of weeks to figure out how to get her (laughs) a copy of this book. Um, so yeah it was but it was interesting but like honestly like that was probably one of the most proudest moments of my life was gifting so many places that book you know and i just anytime that i feel like you know i'm not doing a good job as a person in this world I, i think back to that and i think you know what like there are a lot of teenagers in this world that have read that book because of me and they've changed their perspective on things and become more open minded to other people's points of view because of something I did. So maybe I'm not such a bad person after all, <laughs> you know.
3: Yeah. Not at all. I mean, something that I really find attractive about Nightlight is that you take these traditional monsters, um which yeah, let's talk monsters. So yes. sorry, sorry <laughs> wrong number, which is a story that you wrote. Um uh-huh. and about uh I'm not going to say anything, but the it's a werewolf story and uh-huh. there's I, I actually want to talk about it a little bit. Can I talk about it a little bit? Yes, absolutely. I won't spoil. All right. So the thing that I really like this uh, for a couple of reasons is one, um, you get you have like Professor Lupin from Harry, po- Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. When he's a werewolf, he has no control over his powers, right? And he's there's no werewolf sentience, right? He's just pure animals type of thing. In this story, you sort of mix this werewolf who also has an ability to do magic. Um, which I just, I love this idea. And also a woman who is sort of like, a, you know, attacking basically a, a misogynistic immortal. Um, I yes. love that. I love that story. And, and I think you're <laughs> you're you. doing a lot of really interesting things with werewolf narrative, um, werewolves in space by the nasty Balua. Great oh, yeah. one. Danny lore. Oh God, I love them. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. And I, they uh it was it was cool listening to that because that was early in their career and then Mm -hmm. they talked about writing a comic book and then they came they they're like a name in comics now yes yes and so it's really cool to go back and listen to that and hear like the success that they that they have now experienced but another werewolf story um south central rain playing with the zombie mermaids in cape town playing with mermaids Mm -hmm. and so my question is like um are you intentionally like looking for these inversions of traditional monsters or do you prefer like OG monsters like It Follows which is a you know a horror movie where there's Mm -hmm. a monster in it that is completely new so what sort of preference do you have when it comes to monsters are you more like give me the OG werewolf mermaids (laughs) or like give me something entirely new
2: yeah um honestly, like I don't have a preference for, you know, if it's a new monster or, you know, a new take on an existing monster, you know, I don't like the same old kind of monster stories. Um, So I definitely look for a new twist, but like my criteria usually for stories is, could this be a Twilight Zone episode? Mm Because Twilight Zone is my favorite show of all time. Um, It's influenced me so much as a writer, especially um, episodes that Richard Matheson wrote. Um, You know, I love a good twist. In a story. so that's what I look for first and foremost. Um, werewolves are my favorite monster so if it's got werewolves and a twist like that's pretty much you're in you know like e- even if you know there might be a few structural problems with the story like I will still accept a story that has a really good twist um, in it and I will take time with the writer you know when I accept it I'll say like look, I need some pretty heavy edits in order to make the story work but I'm gonna work with you. Um, to get this story to where it needs to be to be successful for this podcast. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't take the story as it is, submit it somewhere else and do just fine. But I would really love to have the story, but I need these things to change. And I'm willing to work with you on it and tell you why I need those things. Um, and pretty much every time a writer has been like, yes, you know, just tell me what you want. And so, you know, those episodes do take me a lot longer to edit because there are, you know, more extensive editing notes, but if I really believe in a story, if it's got a good twist and a good premise, then, you know, I will accept, you know, some pretty messy stories and, you know, whip them into shape. Um, there's one by, um, oh gosh, I can't remember her name right now. And I, this is terrible because I talk to her all the time and I cannot remember her name. Um, but it's the sleepy hollow story. Um, you know, she and I, she, she and I are friends and, you know, she, she submitted the story and I was like, okay, this is good, but like, there's some problems with it. And, you know, I want to work with you to fix it. And so, you know, she and I, you know, I put all these notes in there and, you know, I explained, you know, this is why I want to change this so that she understood, you know, cause she was a fairly new writer at the time. And, you know, so I mean, it was basically like, I workshopped her story for free and paid her for it, you know, um, <laughs> That, but that is what happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I paid I paid her for the, ple- the pleasure of teaching her um, because I believed in that story so much. It was such a good story. Um, and I knew that it had more potential than what was there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if a story's got a good premise and a good twist, like I'm in and I will spend time, you know, whipping that story into a nightlight story if the author will let me, and, you know, they're willing to make those edits. Can I say something about twists? So
1: (laughs) my favorite, I mean, I know you put so much work into everything, the nightlight, like the Legion, everything. But I think one of my favorite parts are the Easter eggs of the fun facts at the end of yeah. an episode. Like, I, I love the stories. I, I also love the sound effects and some of the voiceovers as well. So um, are you just like a big Marvel fan? Like, what was the inspiration behind just putting that little, like, random, horrific, fun fact <laughs> yeah. at the end of an episode? Because I like, did you say to yourself, like, oh, maybe people aren't listening this long. So let me put something at the end to keep like, was that a, a business strategy? I don't know. A little I bit. Really yeah. Okay. Those.
2: So I listened to a podcast called ologies by Allie Ward. And it's, you know, this, it's a podcast about sciencey things. She interviews different scientists, ologists about whatever their area of expertise is. And at the very, very end of every episode, she shares like some weird fact about her life, like, you know, about like what socks she was wearing, you know, so it's, you know, it's something just, you know, mostly mundane um, and not necessarily related to the topic at hand at all. But, you know, I was listening and I was like, oh, that's a really great idea to get people to listen until the very end. So, yeah, it was partly a business strategy, but the inspiration came from there. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't want it to be a fact about me because... I'm a fairly private person. And I knew like, there are a lot of things that I'm willing to share with people. Like obviously (laughs) it was based on this, um, interview. Um, but I knew eventually I would run out of things that I was willing to share with people. So I, um, I was like, well, you know, maybe it should be like creepy facts, you know, something that's kind of related to the episode. So if it's an episode about, you know, vampires, then, you know, it's some weird fact about vampires or, you know, blood sucking insects or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, it's not always like 100% related to the story, but I always try to find like some little thread that ties it to the story. I was listening to one the other day about this, like, you know, how when people are
1: pronounced dead and then. You know, some like 18th century woman came back to life and like gave her the person that was about to embalm her like a heart attack or something. It was just so. I, I was just like, pull over. I, I need a minute. So good. I like, are you going to start? I don't know. As you get busy picking up, like starting this other podcast project mm-hmm. and starting the the TV film side of this, like, are you just going to require like? all authors must submit fun fact at the end of the story that is related. Like, or is it, are you still going to be like, I want to choose this fun fact. This is kind of my little twist. Yeah.
2: I think I'm still going to do it. You know, I might have, um, you know, like producers, like if I start hiring producers for the episodes, you know, I might have them kind of pick a few facts for me if I'm just, you know, too busy to do it. But, you know, again, my degree is in library and information science. I love to do research. I love, you know, finding these weird nuggets of information, you know, somewhere on the internet. So, like, it's, it's just something that's fun for me and it happens to be something that I can tie into the podcast, um, you know, with 10 or 15 minutes of time and um, I, I enjoy it. So, yeah, I think I'll probably keep doing it myself.
3: Awesome. Yay. Well, we are Maybe one more, uh, well, we're sort of, ju- we're sort oh, of out of time and I wanted to go back to some of the sort of other projects, uh, to wrap up that you've been okay. working on. It sounds like you have a lot going on. You had to just talk to us it, about yes. the novella <laughs> and then, uh, the project with Jen zinc. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, tell us, tell us what we can look forward to.
2: Okay. Um, well, I am working on an audio drama now that I'm tentatively titled and afflicted. And it's about. um, So I grew up in the South, and I grew up with hoodoo, even though I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. I thought it was just like black people superstitious shit. Um, (laughs) And you know, as I was, it's mostly that too. Novella. There was a name for it that it's called hoodoo, Um, and so it's about this this town that suffers a series of natural disasters that it should not suffer. Like there's an earthquake, but there's no fault line anywhere near the town. And so basically, you know, we kind of find out that a portal to hell has been opened because somebody was messing around with some hoodoo that shouldn't have been messing around with it. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's um, right now, it's, it's probably going to be about 10 to 13 episodes. Um, and that's just going to be the first season, but it's going to take the sort of format that American Horror Story is in and that each season is going to be a different story that's told. And so the first season is about this town that suffers unnatural disasters, but um, they're all going to be related in some way to, you know, something supernatural taking place. Um, So I'm getting ready to, I'm working on the budget now so that I can post a Kickstarter for it to raise money for it. Um, And if the Kickstarter is successful, we'll start production. And I'm hoping that that will happen, you know, coinciding with October, because that'd be a great time to start to release it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that date, but I'm really going to try, Um, but it's kind of my baby. Like I really hope that I can get it out in the world. Um, I've written a TV pilot for it as well. So we're pitching that um, as a TV series. So hopefully somebody picks that up. So yeah, I'm pitching that as a TV series and Nightlight as a TV series right now. Um, You know, Hopefully one of them or both of them get picked up. That'd be pretty awesome. Like I said, I released a novella called Risen um, out in December, 2020. Um, And that's the one that, you know, you referred to earlier about, you know, I figured out it was about my dad's death about halfway through writing it and put it down for a long time. Um, I was promoting it pretty heavily and doing readings for a long time, but I kind of stepped back from that just because like, it was hell on my mental health to keep talking about that um, all the time. But you know, it's out there in the world. People seem to like it. It's got like five stores on Amazon um so i'm i'm really proud of that story um you know i dedicated it to my dad and you know some other family members who have passed away um my grandma in particular who did practice hoodoo but you know never called it <laughs> that um but but yeah they were they were the inspiration for a lot of the things in that story um of course i've got nightlight that's going on um we'll be wrapping up our season on halloween with full cast audio drama just like we do every halloween i'm working on a collaboration um, with some other pre major horror podcasts that i'm hoping will come through i've kind of pitched it to um, a few folks so we're just going to kind of see what shakes out there
3: awesome and i recommend everyone become part of the nightlight legion Uh, i am a member uh, so everyone do that and if you can't like definitely go buy a shirt because Amber's wearing the nightlight shirt. It's really fucking cool. Uh, I know people won't be able to, to see it, but we're going to put the links for uh, your book, the, the podcast, um, the, the merch, uh, the Patreon. And uh, Tanya, thank you so much for your time. thank
1: you so much for having me vulnerable oh my gosh thank you you're welcome for being so open and if you ever need any voiceover actors just you you give me a a dm (laughs) you know now that I know that you
2: do it I've got a story that I'm 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 gonna send you I will send you a reel I I most certainly will please do so then it'll be like in my little spreadsheet so then I can kind of recall Whose voice goes with what? Because I'll I'll forget. Like I'll remember that I want to hire you, but I won't remember like what your voice sounds like and you know where yeah. to put it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, do that yeah. for sure. Any
1: any Southern hoodoo, I I got you covered because oh, okay. I am from Georgia myself. <laughs> All sure. right.
2: Amber freaked me
3: out today. We were like filming something. She comes out. It's raining a little bit. She's like the devil's beating his wife. And I'm like, what <laughs> the heck
2: <laughs> is wrong with you? What? Is I said like that once to popular? somebody. Yeah, it is, it is. I said that once to somebody, and they were like, What? I'm like, You've never heard that before? Like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs>
1: so, exactly. Yes. It's a real thing, Ben. Amber's
2: people.
3: <laughs> it's those yeah. southern, like, gothic idiots. It's like, How's the weather? Things. The devil's
1: beating his wife. Right. You know, it's raining <laughs> and
2: shining. That yep. makes sense. That, that's what it is. Exactly. I, I don't know where it. it came from. I don't know why that's yeah. what that means. It doesn't really make any sense, but it is what None. it is. None. It's probably very problematic. Who who knows? Oh but yeah, I
1: like it. I like. Yeah. It. I don't like thinking of that imagery, but it's, no. it's. I know what the weather is. That's all right. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, uh, once again, thank you so so much, Tanya.
2: Uh, You're very welcome. Thank this. you.
1: Thank you so much friends for joining us for that incredible interview and listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci up next for episode 46 we will be reading Cadwell Turnbull's incredible novel The Lesson I'm just gonna say it you do not want to miss reading this book it's so good if you cannot pick up the book please 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 check it out on Audible the voice actors are incredible folks and this is also the episode where we will be drawing for the book giveaway patrons only so be sure to read the lesson and we will We'll see y'all next time for the show. Bye, y'all.
3: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for
2: B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.